James Smith Jr. and welcome to another edition of the Dr. James Show. Looking forward to it as always, what promises to be another amazing, and unbiased, unbiased, amazing show. But before we take off, bring in my co-pilot, Shannon Peck. Shannon, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. You know, I always say it, TGIT. This is my Friday. Thank God it's Tuesday. <laughs> How has your week been? These, these been shows great. just come up like that, but I'm sure you got a lot going on. Always, always. But you know what? Nothing stands in the way of my Dr. James show, no matter what's going on. <laughs> got to get fed, Dr. James. Got to get, get fed. fed. Are you, yes. ready for, you ready for today? Ready I'm ready for today. I don't think, I mean, we've had some well-known guests, but today is ultra special. Um, haven't we're, we're flipping the script, Dr. James. We're, put, we're putting our guests on the other side of the mic, on the other side of the camera. It's going to be exciting. Ladies and gentlemen, viewers, listeners, don't forget, write your questions in the chat room, make your comments, ask your questions, do all of those things. Don't, don't let this hour go by with having an opportunity um, to ask all of those things and just knowledge is power. All those things you want to know. We're scooping. We're Dr. James, I'm just, I'm, I'm handing over the mic to you because I want to get this thing started because I'm, I'm super excited, very excited today. Well, let, let, let's do this. I've watched our guest from afar. I've followed his career. I, back when he was in college, I knew about him. So I'm looking forward to him sharing his journey, his ups, his downs, his highs, his lows. And he's just an amazing, amazing man. So we'll jump into it right now. Thank you. Our guest for today, Lou Holder, Emmy Award-winning sports personality, public speaker, motivational speaker, and educator. Look at that smile. Look at that smile. That's, that's who's coming out. He looks just like the picture. Welcome, Lou Holder, to the Dr. James Show. Welcome. Oh, hello. Hello, Dr. James. How good. are you? I'm good now, man. I'm good now. We got you. Your schedule is busy, busy getting you for an hour. Woo. But we did it. Thank you for thank you for making the time. No problem. No problem. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Now, you're probably in the midst of all this March madness right now, right? Yeah, it's um, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You are a sports fan because um, Magic happens, and not just for a couple of teams, over 60 teams all over the country, and anything can happen. It's already been magical in the area that I live right now, um, just some of the storylines that have happened already. So it's, it's great. It's wonderful. And um, I, I really, really like the, 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 the March, the March, April, um, because golf is soon after that with uh, the Masters, traditionally the Masters, and it's just the, the start of that area into the spring um, is just really, really magical uh, in the sports world because so much can happen. As you are in the midst of this madness right now, what's making it different? How has the pandemic impacted? We'll get to sports in general, but how is it impacting March Madness? So it's the way that it's covered now, and it's the way that it's, um, how should I say, broadcast and the way that it's covered. So obviously we've seen um, just the difference of no fans being in the, in the arenas the entire season, just like the NBA. Um, and just like hockey, you see a lot more signage now because they're yeah. covering up seats with signs and stuff like that and people's faces and stick figures and what have you. Uh, but the way we cover the team is also different. Um, uh, there's no more. And I don't I actually think that's one of the things that will never go back to the way it was. Uh, I don't think we're, the sportscasters are going to be allowed into locker rooms anymore. I think oh. that they're just going to bring these athletes to a mic like I'm speaking to you and right. it's going to be done either on Zoom or what have you. It's just too much of a risk to have all those people in that space not knowing if they're vaccinated or mm. what have you. So um, from the Super Bowl to the NBA championship to whenever you are not going to see 
um, for a long, long time. And I don't even know if that will ever happen again. You are not going to see reporters so close to athletes wow. interviewing them like we've seen in the past. So we recently lost uh, icon in the business, Irv Cross. I was going to ask uh, you about Irv Cross. Yeah. One of the reasons why I wanted to get into sports broadcasting was watching this smooth brother do his thing for CBS. But the way he would interview people um, and, you know, people after that, that have inspired me, uh, I don't think that's going to happen uh, not as frequently as it used to. So that's one of the main things I can see happening. Um, it's interesting that a lot of people are still kind of confused about March Madness and think that there's going to be games going on in different parts of the country. That's not happening. Everybody's flying into a bubble situation um, and they're going to be, you know, you cannot, I think uh, the women are going to be in San Antonio and the men are going to be in Indianapolis um, and you have to have a certain, um, I guess, negative testing or whatever just to get into the bubble. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, everything's going to happen right there. So that's one thing I've had to educate people on, and people have to know that there aren't these pods where you play two games in one city, um, and then go on to the regionals, and that no, everything is going to be right there at these sites. So that's uh, historic. That's never happened before. No. Uh, at least not 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 since I've been covering sports. Uh, but they took a page out of the NBA book. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to do the best that they can. Already there's been um, Gino Oriema, the uh, head coach of the, the UConn, the, UConn. UConn Huskies. Yeah. He, he has to be at home for 10 days. So he's going to miss the first two games of the tournament um, because he has this test. So they're taking it very seriously. And not even one of the icons of the game is going to be able to get yeah. into the bubble um, with a negative test. So they're very serious about uh, they can't get this wrong because there's too many things that could go wrong. Sure, sure. Um, that they just don't want to take chances. So I think that's the main thing, Dr. James, well, is that you're going to see a lot different of the, the presentation and the way it's covered. I think that's going to be the main thing that people see. I think I heard that the NCA said for the teams, you have to have at least five healthy players. That's 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 powerful. That's powerful. Lou, you mentioned um, Irv Cross, former NFL commentator, former Philadelphia Eagle defensive back, him playing a role in how you got here. But why don't you take us back when you were in school, had you always aspired to be a TV personality, sports journalist, Emmy award winning? When did this whole, <laughs> I wanna do sports uh, idea, when did it start? So it's a long story. I'll try to condense it because there's so many tentacles to it, but um, I've always wanted to be in sports. Uh, I went to Rutgers University on a soccer scholarship. Um, and I soccer. always- Go, go, yeah. go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah. And I was, um, you know, I didn't know I was gonna be a trailblazer when I got there. I was the only African-American on the team my freshman year. Ended up having more um, players, but it was just, you know, sports sometimes doesn't see color. And that's great Ooh. about it. They don't see Ooh. color. We just want to know, can you play? And uh, growing up in New Jersey, uh, we had the fiercest competition on every part of the state. So uh, for that was, Bob that was D1, right? Rutgers was D1 yes. soccer, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Bob Riasso was able somehow to keep a lot of these players at home. And um, so it was a great run. Went to two Final Fours, went to a championship game. Uh, but two final so, fours. Woo. Final fours, yeah. And uh, I'm still in therapy because UCLA has my ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, near the end of my career, I realized that um, I don't know if I, you know, that was before MLS, before Major League Soccer. Yeah. And I wasn't really interested in um, going to play overseas. It just, I was, I could hold my own, but I just really wasn't into uh, all of that to go overseas and play uh, some remote city way away from home and not even sure where it was going to go. Um, so I decided that I was going to start switching to other ends of sports. So I would watch people like Earth Cross and people on television. I was like, okay, I like sports. Um, 
you know, let's just keep that in my back pocket. Let me keep that in my back pocket. But after I went to the corporate America for a while, uh, doing communications, I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I got to get around sports. So um, I went to Temple University um, and got my master's degree in sports management from Temple University. Mm-hmm. And um, that opened up my eyes to everything because they had their own television program and television station called Temple Update. And I credit that I credit that program with changing my life. Uh, I got my master's degree in sports management and I'll be ever for grateful for that. But there was also that 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 niche I wanted to get around sports and around broadcasting. And uh, that helped me. So that's kind of how my career took off doing stuff um, as a grad student at Temple University. Uh, yeah, your, your, sports. Picture, your picture's on the wall, man, one of those Hall of Fame. We're like, I know yeah. there's Lou, there's Lou. Yeah. <laughs> Gallery and, of um, success. Yeah. And um, it was great. Um, sad, but also great, you know, when we lost uh, John Chaney. Ooh, um, icon, who, icon. Who, who to me is uh, one of the real life Real life Black Panthers. Uh, that Lou, we have. Lou, I think we have a picture of you and John Chaney. Yeah. We'll put it up yeah. there as so, you continue to talk about him. Please go ahead. Yeah. So he he um, now, mind you, again, I, I grew up idolizing John Chaney and John Thompson, the uh, the head coach Ooh, of Georgetown. Georgetown. We have one of John the, Thompson too. Right. Those are the individuals that young African-American males looked up to because not only not only um, their command on the court, but what they did for their athletes and and you and, and all athletes off the court with Prop 48 and being very, very uh, uh, vocal about how um, athletes oh, are treated. There's and, the picture, you and John Thompson. Right. So those two individuals were like larger than life characters uh, growing up and used to watch them all the time on the sidelines and just idolize them. So now I'm starting my broadcasting career and at Temple Update, it was great that they gave us these press passes where we could go and stand right alongside the ABC, wow. NBC, CBS affiliates wow. right there in Philly. But obviously, I mean, Temple University basketball was a story in Philadelphia. Yes, it was. Absolutely. And to, to start my broadcasting career, interviewing John Chaney and John Chaney treating me a student just as much respect as he would treat all the other uh, broadcasters. Uh, that's an amazing, when I look back at it, it's an amazing, amazing moment for me. And uh, I'll always be grateful because he could easily said, look at this reporter. I mean, come on now. That's not, that's not Cheney. That's not John no. Cheney. So Cheney always, he always had the students in mind and not just the students that he coached, but the students that he interacted with. So One I of really, my greatest I really, memories growing up was attending the John Cheney Sunny Hill summer camp. So I was a little youngster when I met him for the first time and he was as cantankerous then as he was throughout his career. So for you to have the opportunity to get up and close and personal with, like you said, two trailblazers, two pioneers, two people who were so authentic about giving back. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and it was, it was real. It wasn't one of those things that um, was just on game days. It was all the time. You know, those 5 a.m. practices were legendary. Yes. Yes. And, and he let us, he let us, he let us roll right in there. Really? Okay. Right in there with him, you know, and, and now look back, one of my co-anchors and one of my broadcast partners uh, at that time has now gone on to ESPN, Kevin Nagandi. Yes, uh, Temple grad to too. Me. Yes. Right. So we all sit there and we marvel at, wow, we got um, we got a chance to to interview and to to interact with an icon as one of our first experiences <laughs> in broadcasting. It's like, you, you get, you, where do you go from there? So um, it was just an amazing experience. Temple University, the Philadelphia area, uh, it molded me. It molded me in so many ways. Uh, but as far as being a sports broadcaster and how to learn the right ways to do it, mm. I started at Temple University and I'll forever be grateful.
Well, you know, I have two degrees from Temple, so that's fam. That's fam. Speaking of fam, Shannon, something tells me that chat room is blowing up a little bit. We've got a comment over here, Irv Cross, the only person and player able to bring down Jim Brown one-on-one. Uh, <laughs> uh, we do have a question here um, for you, Lou. Do you see yourself working in the Philadelphia market? So there was a time where, um, there was a time that I really desired to get back home. Um, and I still do at some point, but the dynamics of the business have changed so much um, that you know, who knows what will happen if that opportunity did present itself? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd want to come home. My parents and my sisters and my family is is there. Uh, but I'm in the Washington, D.C. area now, not far. Um, and it's all I-95 love. So it's, uh, <laughs> um, it's, yeah. it's close enough that I can get to my parents. And uh, it's it is eventually uh, to say uh, uh, there's a lot going on in the city. <laughs> On an everyday basis, so the energy is the energy is here, but uh, Philadelphia is, is home, um, and there's Philadelphia is an acquired taste. You either love it or you hate it, you know. And you, that's what I tell people: you either are with Philly or you're not, and there's no in between. That's right. um, so, um, but the I learned I learned so much there. The um, a lot of good friends still there on the air, Yuki Washington, Jeff Skaversky, John mm -hmm. Clark. Uh, the list goes on and on and on of people that I know that are still uh, doing the right thing and broadcasting the right way in the Philadelphia area that absolutely, if I had a chance to come back and join those people, uh, I definitely would. We're putting, out, we're putting that out in the universe. We're gonna get you back home. Get you back home. Shannon, any more, any more questions in the chat room? Uh, yeah. So Quick question, as a child, were you naturally inquisitive? I know you love sports and you always wanted to be in sports, but did you find yourself even as a, a young kid asking questions naturally? Um, asking questions, yes, but um, knowing the history of sports was more um, me. I, would, I, was, I was a big historian studying studying a lot, just understanding the history of different sports, you know, in the Philadelphia area, you know, understanding the Broad Street Bullies and, and, and Bobby Clark and Bernie Perron and understanding Let's all that, go flyers. Right? you know, and, and it, it, it's, it served me well because you have to know a lot about the teams that you're covering and not just the ones that are there. Right, and the one thing I love about Philly that is uh, unmistakable is that everybody knows everything about all the sports, right? There were more black people that knew about hockey in Philadelphia than I have seen in any other city that I have gone to, right? We, I remember when the Flyers used to wear those black pants, the long black pants, yes. you know, and just, to, you know, I went to school with Reggie Leach's kid, um, we went to, me and my sisters went to Bobby Clark's day camp, um, you know, Brian Prop and Tim Kerr, they all lived down yeah. the street from us in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So it was like, nobody saw color. We just saw sports. And that's one thing that, um, and the people who excel in Philly love sports and love being in Philadelphia. And that's one thing that has not changed. So asking questions, yes, to an extent, but understanding history, that was more of something as a little child that I always um, found myself now looking back, wow, I really wanted to know about all this stuff. And it was for a reason. It was for a reason. I love it. And in return, you know more about the person and the whole. Right. So you're a whole, he's a, he's a global perspective uh, person, Dr. James, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jan. Thank you. Lou, you talked about history, being a historian. I know you had the opportunity to interview Chadwick Boseman. Mm -hmm. Before you tell us what that was about, because that was history making, considering the Jackie Robinson role he played, we're going to show a little clip from your interview. And then I want you to talk about what that was like. Um, how did it feel talking about Jackie Robinson, the great Chadwick? So let's show the video clip and then get your take on what that was like. 
it's not often that um, you get to play an iconic role. I'm thinking uh, Will Smith when he played Ali, and I'm thinking Denzel Washington when he played Malcolm X, but you got to play Jackie Robinson. When they asked you to do the role, what was going through your mind? Was it intimidation? I mean, it's Jackie Robinson. I mean, at first you just you just celebrate that. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't think about how difficult it's going to be at first. Um, after that, it sets in how big it is. And I just tried to break it apart. You know, we had some time to work on it. You know, you go through your actor's process, and I just told myself that this is like any other role you've ever done, except, you know, it's going to mean more <laughs> to, to everybody that watches it. And so I think, you know, for me, it was just the process of, of you know, me accepting the challenge and realizing that there's nothing I could do about, you know, what anybody else is going to say about it. And then, you know, accepting the fact that I owed a responsibility to his family. Lou, 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 a couple things. What was that like? How did you prep for that? And since you are the historian, what did that, what did it feel like? Take us, take us behind the scenes. Well, first, before I do that, let me, let me, um, let me do a public service announcement, Dr. James. So um, this month is a National Colorectal Awareness Month. Um, and I am just imploring so many people uh, to go get screened, go get tested, get your oscopies, do whatever you need to do. Uh, Chadwick Bozeman has got to be the biggest wake up call for our community that um, it doesn't happen to people in the 50s and say he was in his 40s. Um, you know, and to know that he was making most of these films, that iconic roles um, uh, while he was dying and didn't say a word. And then the way he went to those kids in the hospitals um, and he was an icon himself, but he was this Black Panther, this mythical player, mythical character that he was playing, but all along he was becoming iconic in his own right. And um, that's just, it was just a wake up call for so many people um, to go get screened, to go get tested because this um, colorectal cancer is, is no respecter of person. Absolutely. And, now we, and now we know that it's attacking um, younger and younger and younger people. And once you get screened and tested, you have a better chance of surviving it. So with that being said, I when I interviewed Chadwick Bozeman, he did not have the cancer and I, he was not who he was. I mean, this was his first breakout role. He was doing other stuff, but Chadwick Bozeman was making the circuit. You know, you go to these cities to promote the movie, mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature, but he went to Howard University. So when he came to the area, um, the station that I was working for at the time said that uh, he was going to be available at a, um, a hotel room in Georgetown. And um, I was just, I was more in awe about the character that he was playing than he is the actor. Because again, this is before Thurgood Marshall. This is before James Brown. This is before T'Challa. You know, <laughs> this is before all of that. This is just a guy playing a, a role of an iconic figure that anybody who knows sports has a respect for Jackie Robinson. So my, the prep for that was more um, how are you doing this knowing that this role is going to change your life? Um, and he was so laid back, so appreciative. Um, and he was the right person to play the role. He was the right person to play the role. And other clips from that movie, just talking about how um, he had to tell the white extras not to cheer for him <laughs> because that's not how it was back in the that's day. Right. And they had to retake it every time the white extras would cheer for him instead of booing. Um, just stuff that he had to go through in the movie. It was just fascinating, James. It was just so fascinating to hear um, him bring it to life and to get the, the, um, the green light from his widow, Rachel, to do the movie man, that's got the pressure that, okay, you're the, you, you, you're the person that I want to play the role because he had said that she'd been wanting to do this movie for a while. So yeah. there's others, there's Denzel, 
there's Lawrence Fishburne, there's all these people out there, but they chose Chadwick Boseman. And that role catapulted his entire career. Absolutely. Soon after that came, you know, Get On Up, it came uh, Marshall, and then obviously uh, the Black Panther soon after that. I like at the end of the interview when you said, what's next? And he says, and he, he, he knew, I can't he knew, <laughs> he knew. That he Black Panther was coming. He knew. Lou, in your industry, do they teach you not to be starstruck or you just, you know, you're talking to athletes and pros, it's just natural. How does that work? So I, there is a process that you have to go through mm. um, or as just, uh, mentally in your head, realizing that you're there to do a job. Um, every press pass I have says no autographs. I mean, I'm not there to, I'm not there as a fan. I'm there to do a job. Um, and there are, there are some moments um, in my career where I was like, wow, I'm interviewing this person, but I'm still there doing a job. Uh, I'm still there doing a job. So it's more of perfecting my craft than being a fan if you know there's time to be fans um and um the pictures that i have been able to receive from people or uh, co-workers that have taken it for me because i can't do it myself um they're either me working doing my job or after the interview is over or if i built time with the person they took a picture with me i mean that picture with john cheney was at my college, my, my, my graduation. So there was no sports going on there. That was a person who really respected me and the job that I did while I was there. And John Cheney took a picture with me. Uh, and John Thompson, John Thompson, those pictures, there was no, I wasn't working at the time. Um, John Thompson was March Madness. John Thompson was and is March Madness. And, and that's how, his towel. His yeah, towel. and the towel. And one of the great stories already for the tournament is the fact that Patrick Ewing, the crown jewel of his Georgetown Hoya paranoia back in the day, uh, that same Georgetown team that Villanova took down in 85. When I got uh, my first VCR, <laughs> I got it to tape that game, my VHS, when Georgetown yeah. went down to Nova. Uh, and to know that, that he now wanted as a coach. Um, on the, the anniversary of the day that Georgetown hired John Thompson, uh, that's why they call it March Madness. They won the big dance. Georgetown, Georgetown had to win that tournament to get into the to get into the big dance. And they destroyed Creighton in the Big East final. This was a eight seed that took down a two seed in that tournament and they beat them by over 20 points. Oh, they took down a one seed too because they beat Villanova. Yeah, yeah. So to do all of that, um, that's why they call it March Madness. So somewhere, John Thompson is smiling down. He's probably cursing at somebody too. That's how John Thompson was. John Cheney too. Yes, right. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you. They're both. They're both up in heaven. Probably expletives all over the place. But they. They were some lovable characters. So um, I. And again, after I did it for a while, it really didn't phase me that I was interviewing quote unquote famous people. Um, it just was part of the job. It's part of the job. All right. I have some meaty, meaty, go deep questions coming up. But before I go there, Shannon, <laughs> bring some chat room love. What's happening in the chat room? Folks are saying city of brother love, brotherly love. Wonderful to hear from you, Lou. You're a great guest. Um, we also had somebody who, um, who had an opportunity to meet with uh, Chadwick and when he was filming 21 Bridges in Philly, such a genuinely nice guy. Um, and so one of our folks wants to know, what does broadcasting the right way mean? So there's a wrong way to do it. And that is when it's all about you. And mm. some, some, some people in, our, in the industry that I'm in, um, they find themselves wanting to be the story, uh, wanting to be the, you know, the celebrity we're really broadcasting is teeing other people up so their stories can be told. Um, and you see a lot more of that in the internet world and the social media world where everybody wants to be a star. Um, sometimes you can be just as big of a star 
interviewing other people the right way. Um, and that means listening to them, not your agenda, their agenda, um, having a good command of the English language, um, being able to present yourself well, uh, nice attire, uh, that's all part, and that's what I teach now to the young broadcasters that I am mentoring. That is, Shen, that is the right way. That is the right way. That's the way I learned. That's the way Temple University schooled me. That's the way I learned from the likes of Stuart Scott and uh, Brian Burwell and uh, James Brown, who's uh, one of my yeah. mentors. They all, everything has come up. Be yourself, but do the right do it the right way and don't embarrass the craft, right? There's a certain way to do it. And um, that is the right way. That is the right way. There's a code of ethics that the, that the journalism field has and uh, in there is accuracy. That's one of the code of ethics. Another one is humanity that you always look after the other person, even if you are going after a uh, person to be fair, to be fair. So if, uh, Shannon has a point and Dr. James has a point to do the thing the right way is that I should be hearing from both of you to get both sides of the story, right? When you do a report and I'm only interviewing one side, that's not the right way to do broadcast journalism. Uh, I could hate one of you internally to my core, but to do the job the right way, the one I signed up to do, the, the craft that has given me so much is that I have to hear both sides and let the audience from my storytelling, let them have their own opinion on uh, the story that I'm doing. Uh, those are some of the nuances of quote unquote, the right way. Yeah, it's good. good. That's good, so thank good. you. Thank you, Shannon. Lou, back in the eighties, I was in corporate and I started my first foray into diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and one of the topics that would come up every single class would be the Washington Redskins. The mm. Washington Redskins. Mm. Again, using Indians as a team name, you don't hear the Jersey Jewish guys or the Boston black guys. You don't hear that, mm. but you heard up until this season, the Washington Redskins, now they're the Washington football team. Can you talk a little bit about that, being in that market and hearing it and the reaction and perhaps even your thoughts? Yeah, so that is the hot button topic in this area. Well, that and when the Washington Wizards were the Washington Bullets. Yeah. Um, those two names have been moved around a lot in this area. Um, so my history with the Washington football team is that, um, first of all, when your team is winning, there's not much of, there's not as much people saying stuff as right, when your team right. is being destroyed by ownership, okay? Let me just make that clear, okay? So when Joe Gibbs was winning Lombardi trophies, uh, not many people were, um, as, as far as I know, growing up, not many people were uh, had a pro had a problem with hail to the Redskins, hail victory, hail to the Redskins, fight for old DC. People were that every time they scored, and no one had a problem with it, right? Um, there is, and I've done. We've had to, in this market where I live. You have to do your research, getting both sides of it. Um, there are a segment of Native Americans who view the name Redskins as a term of endearment. It was something that they were proud of. They were proud that a team had their name on it and there was that segment. There was also the segment of people, as you said, um, that found it to be offensive. And if it's offensive to one person, it's offensive to too many. So um, it was only when uh, money, so one thing millionaires and billionaires enjoy is more money. And when FedEx Field and Nike and the NFL started to squeeze Dan Snyder and his entities, that's when that name had to change. That's when that name had to change. Um, it, it, it's always like that. I remember when uh, Imus in the morning, and this is personal for me, Imus in the uh, morning Imus, yeah. called, called 
the bunch of Rutgers women's players, nappy-headed hoes. I remember that. I remember. And I, we were all like, what in the world? And it was only when the corporate sponsorship started to ban or pull out of his show is that's when the apologies happened and that's when things started to change, right? And the only reason why it's the Washington football team now is because FedEx Field and Pepsi and Nike started to pull that logo off of shelves and off of buildings and things of that nature. So um, I was one of those people that was, yeah, rooting for the team and Doug Williams, you know, the first yeah. black quarterback. And I was all for that. But when you started to hear more and more people saying that's offensive to me, it was time for change. It was time for change. People have changed now. Now, what I will say, though, is that you can't have you can't have it both ways. Both ways so yeah. if if Dan Snyder has to change the name of his team, then so does the Chicago Blackhawks, so does the Indians, so the Florida State Seminoles, anything that has anything to do, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, all of that has to be looked at now. You can't just say, well, uh, it's a person, but no, it's all, you have a Native American symbol on your helmet, on your uniform. Um, let's, you know, let's call it what it is. If you're going to do change, yeah. then everything has to be under consideration for change. That's one thing I will say. Uh, but growing up now, as you get older, you mature and you understand the human plight of people and more right. and more people were on the side of it's an offensive name um, and it needs to be changed than they were to the history of what it was. Yeah. What it was. Mentioned Atlanta Braves too, but it, it's just, it's been right. that way throughout. Even children's games, you get A's for apple, B's for ball, C's for candy, I's for Indian. Yeah. The right. only group of people that consistently over the years were an object not people eyes mm -hmm. for ice cream I, ice cream indian let's give that some thought we have a picture of you with someone else who uh created some controversy a few years ago uh he, the controversy was he decided to take a knee during the national anthem as a way of drawing attention to the behavior, the, the circumstances he felt, undue, unjust circumstances, he thought police uh, afforded people of color, black, not people of color, black people, the brutality and, and, and thus forth. He took a knee, Colin Kaepernick, he took a knee. It looks like you guys are in the same fraternity here. So what's happening here and your thoughts about Colin Kaepernick in the sports world taking a knee and him, his career being over? Right. So obviously that's, um, again, the San Francisco 49ers were uh, in Washington playing the Washington Redskins at the time. And then after the press conference, I just went up to him and I mentioned that, you know, they were from the same fraternity and uh, he took that picture with me. Um, that was way before all of this stuff went down. Um, and I am so proud of him and so proud to be in the same brotherhood and fraternity as him because um, he had to take a stand. And the thing about it is, is that we got the people, this country got so divided over something that it shouldn't have because it was never about the flag. It was never about the flag. Uh, the former president made it about the flag. And it's just so ironic that that whole uh, thing that happened on January 6th at the Capitol and flags were being used to beat people up, you know, and that, I mean, that in itself, the irony of all of this was he was, and those same police officers, um, some of them, one of them died, another one saved more lives. You know, it's it's one thing to stereotype and have the perception that all police officers are this is and all black people are this and all white people are that. Uh, that's a dangerous way to go down, whether you're a broadcaster or not. You know, you cannot have those stereotypes and perceptions without checking those uh, perceptions. And I think at the time, um, he was making a stand for the bad cops who are not doing their oath of protecting and serving, right? There are a segment of police officers who need to be checked who are not protecting and not serving. Yeah. 
And that's what that knee was for. Uh, the knee was also for equality in the sport that he plays, right? The Rooney rule, Dr. James, is a joke. The Rooney rule is a joke. There are not enough of people of color. Now, Washington here has finally got it right. There is a black president, there is a black GM, there's a woman on the staff. Um, there's things that have changed here, but nationwide, there's still, there was so many job opportunities that somebody like Eric Bieniemy, who is the uh, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, there's no way in the world why he does not have a job in one of these one of these franchises. And then you hire Jacksonville, will hire Urban Meyer, who's never coached on an assistant level or anywhere in the NFL. He gets a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and Eric Bieniemy is not even. I don't know how he's not considered. So that is what Colin Kaepernick was also kneeling for. The people that play that sport want to see more diversity, not just on the field, but in the front offices as well. And that got all messed up and all lost in the flag, right? It was, it was so much more than the flag. That was just the area, but the stance was, it was not about you know, disrespecting our military and things of that nature. Look, how, how, did, how did you handle those conversations with your peers who weren't woke at that point, where they thought it was about the flag? Because I was in a number, number of those conversations as well, where people didn't want to hear it. They're more woke now, but back then, they didn't want to hear it. Well, I mean, all you can do is speak truth. So you speak truth, and then you move on. Some people, they just don't want, again, they don't want to hear it. I can't but you can't unhear truth and you can't unsee light. So once you see light and truth, you're responsible for the light and the truth that you have now been shown and seen. Uh, so at that point, I just, I just move on because you know the truth. Um, and the truth was so evident though. Um, but the last, I'm just gonna be honest, the last four years of the country has been so divisive that anything that happened in those four years um, was indicative of leadership, of leadership. So um, it, it's one of those things now that I don't, I don't even want Colin Kaepernick to go back into the NFL. Uh, I think he's better off with his, um, with his area in life now and the examples that he's using. Um, the NFL really, really has to be in some ways ashamed of himself because they blackballed that, that young man from getting a job um, and, and there was no reason for it. Um, there's no, there, was, there was times when you would look at rosters and the, the quarterbacks that they had on those rosters, you're telling me that Colin Kaepernick wasn't as able-bodied as those individuals just to even compete for a backup role? I'm not buying that. So Roger Goodell, the NFL, they are responsible for all of that, all of that. So um, there's a lot of blame to go around, but at the end of the day, I'm still so proud of the stance that he took um, because someone had to take it and he took it. And you talk, um, you talk about taking a stance. I'm going to mispronounce his name. Soccer player Zlatan Ibrahimovic told, gave his viewpoint on LeBron James talking politics and he told him, Stick to sports, get out of politics. Reactions to that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, these, these athletes, uh, again, uh, when Shannon asked me about um, doing broadcasting the right way, and uh, one of the things is knowing that these athletics is what they do, but it's not who they are. So there are so many athletes that have other callings. Um, Muhammad Ali, um, you know, there's there, the list goes on and on. Muhammad Ali is probably the, the one that sticks to in my mind because of my era. Yeah. Uh, but 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 LeBron James, the um, Bill Russells, the Jim Browns, right? There, there, there's so many, right. There's so many that have taken stances outside of the sports that they play. Uh, Serena Williams um, has, has taken stances on things. So. Um, it's not up to us because I know there was times that 
Why doesn't Tiger Woods take more of a stance on certain things? Or Michael why doesn't Jordan. Michael Jordan yeah. take a stance on? You can't tell the individual what stance to take, but you cannot muzzle them to say, okay, all you are is an athlete, right? And we don't want to hear anything else. No, the athletics is a, is a, a way to get in the door to affect change. And after a while, right? That's going to come out of people who want to affect change. And LeBron James is one of those people coming from Akron, knowing that, you know, um, so many things that he touches, people listen. And, but what you don't see is all the kids that he's put through college and the millions and millions of dollars that he's put into academies and things like that. That's all because basketball afforded him the platform to do other things in his life. So for any athlete to say to another athlete, just shut up and do what you do, that's not realistic. That's not realistic. You know, we all have multiple gifts inside of us. And what we do as a vocation is not always who we are as individuals. We're so much more. You're absolutely right. You mentioned the gift. And people should know that. I mean, there's too many examples. People exempt too many examples of people who have done extraordinary things outside of their nine to five. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of extraordinary, Shannon, what's happening in the chat I'm just, room? I'm over here just again, like I said, getting fed. Getting fed. <laughs> but you know what, Lou? You are an Emmy award-winning sports personality. You have your own company, Holder Sports. Let me ask you. How has your faith, family, and friends contributed to that success? Wow, uh, that's a great question. Um, it's how I'm rooted. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a um, true believer that my steps have been ordered by the Lord. Um, I have been put in positions uh, where I can look back and he will do that. God will do that. He'll put you in a position where you can only look back and say it was only him because no man could have done what he did. So my trip through school, through Temple University, getting a graduate degree, uh, um, being a graduate assistant uh, for Jeff Montague at the time when I was there and just walked on the campus and said, where do I sign up? And he said, you know what? I see something in you. And my graduate, he said, you're going to be one of my first graduate assistants. And my grad, my whole graduate career was paid for before I walked through the door because I walked on campus and I just handed my resume to the right person. That's not, that's not man. That's, that's not, not that's, that's, that's not man, you know? So, um, just the way my career has taken off and my personal life and the, the awards that I've been able to win, I can't claim that. Um, and I promised myself that if I ever got a chance to tell anybody, I was going to tell that person and any other person why I'm here. And I'm only here because of the grace and mercy of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So my faith is where I am. Um, and that's who I am. The family and friends have also been ordained by God. Uh, my mother told me you have a lot of acquaintances, but very few friends. Um, so I know a lot of people, but I have very few friends because uh, I have to really guard myself because everybody thinks that I am a, uh, uh, a walking ticket master. Uh, <laughs> StubHub, brother StubHub. <laughs> a StubHub or whatever you want to call it. And that's not who I am. Um, so I just, a lot of people in my industry are very um, isolated because they're afraid of people using them for their advantage. Um, so people that are, I am friends with are the ones that I grew up in the Philadelphia area that have known me before I became a sportscaster and are not in awe of what I do right now. They're like, man, that's just Lou. That's just Lou. You know, those are the people I want to be around because I can't fake the funk with them. They knew me when I first picked up a microphone. Um, so that's the kind of, uh, and then people, you know, the, the Bible says, don't put your hand on anybody suddenly. So that scripture has always resonated with me because 
you know, you see people's reaction and you see people's behavior over a period of time. And those are the ones you let into your inner circle, right? And it's only after a long period of time where those people become your friends and your family. And all of those people have the similar walks in Christ that I do. Uh, because you can't be unevenly yoked, not just in marriage, but you can't be unevenly yoked in friendships um, and anywhere else, because it will come a point where you're going to have to make a decision that is not very popular. And if you are dealing with people that are not like-minded as you, it's going to cause you more pain and more heartache when you have to make those stances. So um, that's kind of the roundabout answer to how does my family my friends, and most importantly, my faith uh, play in my life. Amen. Thank you, Shannon. Phenomenal question. Thank you. Lou, my, my research, my, my doctorate was on authenticity, people being authentic, primarily authentic at work. I've always wanted to ask someone in your industry, so I get a chance to ask you this, Do, does the press, does the public really want that athlete to be authentic when they're answering the question. And I asked before, I remember when LeBron James and the Heat lost to Dallas in the championship. They were interviewing LeBron after the game. And they said, how do you feel? What's going on? He's like, listen, y'all going back to y'all nine to fives. I'm going home to my big mansion, my house. And it was still tender, the wound was tender, but that's just an example. Do, does the public, do the people in your industry, do you want these athletes to come down Front Street and share their truth? Or do you want them to share some of it? Uh, I would rather them be truthful and authentic. Um, and I also realize that people are in different maturity levels in sports. Um, the same, words that are spoken by LeBron James are the same words that are not spoken by Bill Belichick in a press conference, but they're both authentic in their own ways. That's how Bill feels. And everybody in that market knows that when you're interviewing Bill Belichick, you're going to get the prickly answers. If you are interviewing uh, San Antonio Spurs and you're interviewing Popovich, you're going to get the same thing. But then if you interview Gina Oriema and the Yukon Huskies, you're going to get a lot different answer. But authentic is what you want. And sometimes it's in your face and you don't always agree with it, but I'd rather have somebody be telling me a real answer than a rehearsed and fake answer because at the end of the day, people are gonna see through that. Um, and educated fan bases in sports can see that. Um, case in point, when it was in Philly, um, I remember when, um, Ricky Waters. Um, for who, for he, what? <laughs> yeah, for who, for what, yeah. right? He was authentic. Yeah. But yes. the thing about it is, though, his authentic revealed something about his character that was not Philly, right? But if he didn't say that, we would never know all along that he had a selfish attitude towards his teammates. So I'm glad. I'm glad when people reveal themselves in authentic because now the public has an opportunity to make a true decision on, I like that person or I don't like that person. Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice. practice. Not, 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 not the game, not, 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 not the game. We're talking about practice. And at the end of the day, his authenticity was really, really profound because they kept hounding him about practices, but this man showed up every day for the game why are we really worried about practice, right? Well, you have a bunch of people who say, you know what? I'm teaching my kids that practice is very important before you get to the game. So you're a role model and you're supposed to be doing that. Where others are saying, man, this man has earned so much respect playing hurt, playing undersized and everything like that. But if he never said that, we wouldn't have anywhere to go. If there was just the whole rehearsed answer then we never would know where to go. So I'm for the athlete being authentic. The shock value, that's for everybody else to deal with, but the athlete being authentic, I don't know how you can really, really have an issue with that. Lou, here's an opportunity for you to continue that. 
school of thought. At this juncture on the show, we always ask the guests, since I'm a speaker, to do a mini keynote, M-I-N-I, where you have 30 seconds to look into the camera and whatever your call to action is, um, empowerment, resiliency, pivoting. So considering your life, your experiences, your profession, once you look in that camera, I know you're a speaker, give us 30 seconds on Lou Holder, unplugged and your admonition to us. Mm -hmm. As Lou Holder is a sportscaster, uh, I will say that uh, life is a journey and don't be afraid to embrace all the turns and all the nuances that this journey gives you. Uh, I am not doing right now what I thought I'd be doing when I was 18, 19 years old, and that's okay. That's okay. You are supposed to be finding out as you go through life what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Don't get discouraged. Understand that there are going to be uh, tests, but without tests, there would be no testimonies. So the tests are going to come from um, inside of your vocation, outside of your vocation, on an everyday basis, and a lot of times through the people that you love, the tests will come. But at the end of the day, we are equipped for the journey that God has put us on. We are here for a reason. And at the end of the day, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts still be acceptable in his sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Boom, boom. Man, we could be here all day. I wanted to talk to you about nephew Tommy. I want to talk let's about Mike, go. Let's Mike go into Tyson. overtime. Let's Mike go. Tyson. Let's go into overtime. Has the Dr. James show ever gone into overtime? We go into overtime right now. Let's let's look at a video clip of you interviewing nephew Tommy. So I want to at least start there by taking us through your journey mm. with some of these some of these uh, segments of the media that you have uh, excelled in. I want to start with the radio first. Okay. Obviously, for everybody who um, knows or does not know, it's nephew Tommy. <laughs> nephew Tommy being the nephew of Steve Harvey, yeah. um, the famous comedian. So first, I think we need to start there. How influential was your uh, uncle in everything that you've done? Uh, a lot. I mean, you got a guy that, um, I mean, shot like a rocket as far as stand-up comedy. And you just sit back and watch. You take notes. You see what he's doing. And... Uh, you learn, you learn the good part, you learn the bad part, you wrap it all up and you say, okay, let me, let me give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And um, stand-up comedy, I have no idea. I was, I was um, working in the summertime with a buddy that had a lawn service and we were cutting yards and he says, man, you ought to go try some stand-up <laughs> comedy. I was like, no, I'm an actor. I'm a, I'm a thespian, you know, and uh, he said, no, you ought to give it a shot. They had an amateur night in my, in my city, Houston, Texas, and um, I said, all right, let's try it. So I go down, I do three to five minutes, which I thought was forever, you know, and I won, you know. I call my uncle and say, I won. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, he said, you still ain't ready. You ain't ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like, Lou? We're in overtime now, a minute or two of overtime. What was that like? That was great. I mean, he, he came to the campus where I, one of the campuses that I teach, Prince George's Community College uh, in Largo, Maryland. And uh, we just had a real talk, a real talk about all the things that he's doing. And again, um, he's more than just a comedian. He's more than just that. Uh, his miles for giving and how he gives back to um, military people and things of that nature. There's so many things about him um, that was just fascinating to me, how he studies Shakespeare and how he's doing so many things and who he likes as a comedian. And um, besides his uncle, um, uh, he said that Bernie Mac, Bernie Mac and Cedric the Entertainer, uh, but obviously the goat for him and most of us is Richard Pryor. So um, he went through a lot of that. And then he just gave the students that were in the audience that day, he gave them some um, marching orders, you know, some, some, some tips for life. And he said, be prepared, um, be ready for the wrong, long haul. And his last words in that interview were, don't forget about God. Don't, don't forget, forget about, about God. It always comes back. It always comes back to the yes, creator. Yes. 
Shannon, you come on out. Um, Lou, I'm going to ask you the same question you asked Chadwick. And hopefully you won't say, I can't tell you. <laughs> What's next for you? What's next? What's next for Lou Holder? I'm just expanding on what I'm doing. I mean, it, it's, 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 um, I love telling stories, Dr. James and Shannon. I love telling stories. So whatever's going to give me the platform to do that, whether it's teaching as I'm doing now and continuing to teach, whether I'm invited to be on shows like yours, whether I do a podcast my, of my own, whether I get back into television um, full-time, whether I have my own radio show, whatever um, God has in store for me, that's what's next for me. You know, I really can't, I'm, I'm through, I'm tired and I'm through of putting God in a box, right? I'm tired because I mean, he keeps blowing my mind and sustaining me in ways that I never thought that I would. So at this time, I'm like, whatever you want me to do, Lord, because when I start making, that's how you, that's how you make God laugh. You have a plan, right? <laughs> that's how you make him laugh. You know, so I am tired. I'm tired of making God laugh. I'm like, you order my steps and tell me what I'm supposed to do, what shows I'm supposed to be on, what format, what platform you want me to have. And that is my honest answer on what's next for me. Whatever God has in store for me is what's next for me. I love it. I love it. Shannon, this is our first overtime show. Any concluding thoughts? Well, I can see how having a conversation with Lou is so easy and you're, you're just, it's a conversation and you make people feel so relaxed. So thank you for sharing your heart today. I felt your integrity, your character, and I believe the world really feels your ability to connect with people and make them feel as if they're the only person on the planet. I don't even know who's watching and listening today because I, I was, you, you draw us in um, and I just, I thank you for, sh for sharing that today because I really felt your authenticity. I appreciate that. And uh, Dr. James, I thank you for having me on. And I, I but, but before I, um, I leave, I, I have to shout out um, the organization that also helped change my life. And that's the Inroads organization. So from your brother Rodney to Mike Robinson, who's the reason why I pledged Kappa Alpha Psi, um, to Bill Hart, to Debbie Hill, to Coulter, to so many people. Um, you know, I've, I've been good friends with uh, Ricardo and Salika Michelle, who I have met through Inroads, and they live right down the street from me now here. We've run into each other and we're raising kids together. And the Inroads, um, uh, the Inroads community and the Inroads um, family is tight knit tighten it. And um, it taught me business acumen. It taught me, um, you know, being on time. It taught me so many things that have served me. Now, obviously, I they didn't have broadcasting as no. part of the corporate sponsor. It was more medicine and banking and things of that nature. But the actual um, nuances that I learned from being a business professional from that organization has served me well in life. It served me well in life. So not only did sport, I got my sports start in the Philadelphia area. I got my business start yeah. in, in, the, in, the, in the Philadelphia area. And, you know, obviously I, my dad signed me up for the thing. I didn't know anything about inroads. I was like, you know, whatever. My dad had me in Boy Scouting. I'm an Eagle Boy Scout. He had me doing all these things. And I'm just like, okay, dad, whatever you want me to do, because I want to say no. Uh, but when I got in there and I had my first taste of inroads, I was like, these people are sharp. Sharp. I mean, sharp. dressing nice. The first thing they taught us was phone etiquette. And that's when they didn't have cell phones. You had to pick up a phone, <laughs> dial an employer, talk to them, go on an interview. After the interview, write a thank you letter, mail the letter off. They don't do any of that now. Now it's all, you know, online. My, my kids right now, they, they are, they, they never see them. They never see them now. You 
apply online and you are rejected online. But I was like, I keep telling my kids, sooner or later, you are going to run into a human being and you got to know how to handshake somebody. Can't be too soft. It can't be too firm. For men and women, you got to know how to look people in the eye. All this stuff that Inroads taught me that now I'm actually teaching others. And it was before I even knew what I was doing that they ingrained into me what it is to be a strong black man in corporate America and succeeding when a lot of the stuff that will make you has nothing to do with your um, knowledge of the product or whatever. It's the soft skills of, of you know, understanding how to deal with people. That I, call, has so I, call them the, I call them the people skills. Because dealing, right. with, dealing with people is not. Exactly. Soft. And not, every, not everybody can deal with people. No. no. Not everybody and Dr. James. I think we need to have Lou back if we do, if we have some folks on from Inroads. Oh, we're going to do an Inroads show. How about that? We're going to do an Inroads show. We'll never, we'll, we'll, ne we'll never finish that show. <laughs> that, show will that, that show will never finish. We're going to do it. Great idea. Lou Holder, thank you. I think if Salt and Pepper were here right now, they would say, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. <laughs> Lou, you're the truth. Thank you for blessing our show today. Thank you for bringing your wisdom, your your experiences, your authenticity. We're so grateful to have you. And for those of you who are watching, thank you for staying overtime. It was worth it. Lou Holder brought you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I always end the show by saying, you were just impacted. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.